Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I have been presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. In the previous broadcast, I was answering the questions of, does a person have to be baptized to be saved? And also the question of, do you wash away your sins through baptism? Is that how your sins are washed away? And the verse in the scriptures that relates to this question of, does a person have their sins washed away? Are your sins washed away through the act of baptism? That passage is found in Acts chapter 22, verse 16. And I was explaining at the end of the previous program that if you want to know if you have to be baptized in water, that is, in order to be saved, then the real question that you have to resolve, the real question that you have to answer is, what is the gospel? That is the true question, that you do not understand salvation. You do not understand the gospel, because if you did understand what salvation is, if you understood the real problem and the real solution, if you understood the bad news and you understand the good news, then you would know that that is not a realistic question, that that question has no meaning in the context of what salvation truly is. And so that's why I was explaining in the previous program that you needed to answer the question, or you need to at least ask the question, of what is salvation. And if you will ask that question and answer it, then your other question of do you need to be baptized will easily be answered, but not until then. And I have to encourage you to pursue that, because it's very easy for me to say, no, you don't, and somebody else says, yes, you do, without dealing with the issues of why and what. Those are the kinds of questions that need to be resolved. When it comes to the forgiveness of sins, the same thing. No, you are not going to be forgiven of your sins. Your sins are not going to be washed away by water. It is the blood of Jesus that washes away your sins. You are only forgiven because of what Jesus did for you, not because of what you are going to do with some pastor or some leader or somebody else in water. That is not what he said. That is not what he meant. When Ananias was speaking to the Apostle Paul, he was talking about the condition of his heart. He was not talking about that physical act being the means by which forgiveness was obtained. Absolutely not. Now, if you want to understand these things, if you want to deal with these questions of forgiveness, salvation, listen to the programs I did on the subject of forgiveness. The first two programs focused on the subject of the gospel and what is salvation. The rest of the programs dealt with the subject of forgiveness and, of course, many of the obstacles that people deal with when it comes to resting in the forgiveness that we already have. And so I have done programs on that subject. In this program, I would like to proceed with John chapter 3, where the Lord Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. The question that comes out of this chapter in the scriptures, out of this conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus, is that Jesus said that you must be born of water and you must be born of the Spirit. So people will take this verse and they will assume that he's talking about water baptism. But that just isn't what he said. If you start in John chapter 3, verse 1... It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I have done a couple of programs on Nicodemus. I did Nicodemus Born Again Again, where I described the six different ways that a person could be born again, and I also spoke about Nicodemus as a stealth believer. Those are two programs that I have done with respect to Nicodemus. I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to those programs. But in verse 6, Jesus explained what he was saying. In verse 6, it says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He says one is born of water with respect to the flesh, and one is born of the Spirit with respect to the Spirit. What kind of water is he referring to? He is not referring to the water of the baptism of John. He's referring to natural birth. That's what he's referring to, that a person must be born into this world physically, yes, of the flesh, absolutely. First, they must be born that way, otherwise they're not going to exist. But then they must be born from above, they must be born anew, they must be born again. And the only way that that is going to occur is through the restoration of the Holy Spirit, that the living God must give birth to you to make you into a child of God, to make you into a new creation, and he does that by giving you the Holy Spirit freely as a free gift. That is what he's talking about. He's talking about natural birth, not birth in a bathtub. He goes on and he says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. If you'd like to be born of the water in the context of water baptism, I can tell you exactly where that comes from. It's not like the wind. It's not something that you don't know where it came from or where it is going. It comes from a faucet. That's where it comes from, for the most part, for most people. It comes from the city water supply. That's where it comes from. No, he's not talking about water baptism in this context. He's talking about the natural birth and then the spiritual birth that occurs when the living God saves an individual through baptizing them, identifying them, immersing them with his very spirit. This is something that he does. No one else can do this. He has reserved this only for himself, and he's not going to share this with anyone. If you are going to be born again by his spirit, then he is the only one who can and who will do that. Another question that often comes up when it comes to the subject of baptism is from Mark chapter 16, verse 16, where it says in verse 16, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, when people read this, what they say is that a person has to be baptized in water or they will not be saved. And technically, you could read this and come to that conclusion. I can understand that. I just don't think that's what he was intending to say. I really don't. I personally believe that he was intending to say that the baptism that you had to receive is the spiritual baptism from the Lord Jesus. But let's assume for just a moment that maybe he was intending to talk about water baptism. 
If he was intending to say that, then to me that would be consistent with what the apostles believed at this time in history. That is a possibility. I'm willing to entertain that, even though I don't agree. I don't think that that's what he was saying. I think he was talking about spiritual baptism. But if he was talking about water baptism, if that was his intent, then that would make perfect sense as well, because... The apostles believed that a person first had to convert to Judaism and then they could be saved because they did not acknowledge that a Gentile could be saved until after Acts chapter 11. And so technically this would be expected even though it's not correct. I do believe that if he was intending to refer to water baptism that it would be consistent with what they believed at the time even though it was invalid and they were corrected in Acts chapter 11. Another way to consider this is that the end of Mark chapter 16, the end of Mark chapter 16 was not found in many of the original manuscripts. There is some question with regards to the integrity of the end of Mark chapter 16. I'm not going to take that position in this program, though. I'm going to go ahead and refer to it as if it was something that Mark wrote. But even if this is water baptism, if you need to be baptized in water to be saved, if that's true, if we make that assumption... Then keep reading. Read to verse 17 where it says, These signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. How about verse 18? They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. Well, let's try that one. If you have to be baptized in water to be saved, then you should be able to drink deadly poison and it won't hurt you. Let's give that a try. I mean, if you're really going to believe this, then believe it all. Don't just pick and choose a few things. So this is how I normally respond to this question when it comes from Mark chapter 16 with regards to being baptized in water and whether or not it is truly necessary for salvation. Again, when it comes to salvation, you should ask the question of what is salvation. And through answering that question, you can resolve a lot of conflicts and confusion. But I don't think that Mark was dealing with that subject in that context in this verse. Now, the rest of the references to baptism and the questions that normally come from the scriptures that people will ask when it comes to the subject of baptism. Most all of these other issues come from the letters of the Apostle Paul and of Peter, that in most cases people are asking questions from the epistles. Now, I personally believe that these questions are a little bit out of place when they come from the epistles. And the reason why I say that is because the Apostle Paul and Peter, they were talking about baptism in certain contexts in order to explain something else. They were not using baptism to talk about baptism. They were using baptism in order to explain something else that they wanted to explain. This was what the Lord Jesus did with water baptism. He used water baptism in order to explain the baptism with the Holy Spirit, the baptism that he would perform. He used it to explain something else. And so I don't normally include these verses in a discussion of baptism. I don't normally address these passages in the scriptures because when people normally discuss these passages in this context, what they're really doing is they are dealing with issues of interpretation. And when it comes to that, it's very difficult to deal with specifics. It's very difficult to deal with history. It's difficult to deal with concrete issues because the interpretations that people have with respect to the gospel, with respect to law and grace, with respect to other things, often find their way into discussions like this and make the discussion even more complex, even more difficult, and there are more issues that end up needing to be resolved to the extent where it's very easy to leave the subject of baptism entirely and end up dealing with other things, going down other rabbit trails, and it's very unusual to resolve anything.
For the remainder of this program, though, I'm going to pick a couple of these. I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul referred to the baptism for the dead. I'm going to address this one first, and then I'll address some of the other ones. Let me start with this one, and that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 28 and 29. I'm going to start in verse 28, but the statement of interest is actually found in verse 29. Beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, it says, When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. And then in verse 29, Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? People will often refer to this as justification to baptize people on behalf of other people who have already died. And I personally don't see that here at all. In order to understand this verse, you need to understand the gospel. You need to understand that the problem, the bad news... The issue between us and God is that we are born into this world spiritually dead in the image of Adam. We are spiritually dead in the sense that we do not have the presence of the Holy Spirit and dwelling within us because Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and when they sinned, they died. The presence of the Holy Spirit that was breathed within them was withdrawn, and so they were in a condition where they no longer had the presence of the Spirit within them. And that spirit was the very life of God, and the absence of life is death. So we are born in the image of Adam, not in the image of God. We are born in the image of Adam as a reflection of what it's like not to have our God. This is the problem that was defined way back in the Garden of Eden. And the solution to this problem is to restore the life that had been lost. In order to restore the life that had been lost, first you have to deal with the sin issue, because if you don't, then there will be a sin left unforgiven that would cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us. So that is why the Lord Jesus died for the sins of the world. He did that so that he can offer the world the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. He is offering that to us as a free gift, and if we will receive that, then we will be resurrected. Then we will be made alive. And if we don't receive that then we are going to be dead. Now, who were people being baptized for during the time of the Apostle Paul when he was going around into the Gentile world to visit the synagogues there? Those people understood baptism, and I explained this in the previous programs, that the purpose of baptism was to convert a Gentile to Judaism so that they could live a life of repentance and obedience to the Mosaic Law under the supervision of who? The Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones who created baptism as a means of conversion so that a person can begin to walk in Pharisaical Judaism. That was what it was for. And people were baptized for the Pharisees so that the Pharisees would be convinced that this person had truly dedicated their lives to obedience to the law of Moses and those Pharisees that observed this act could then be available as witnesses Also, to testify on behalf of the individual in the event that any questions ever arose concerning this person's conversion to Judaism. So when people were being baptized, they were being baptized for who? For God? No. They were being baptized for the Pharisees, for the people of the synagogue. They were being baptized for these other people. So these other people would feel good about their ministry. So these other people would accept these new converts within their community. That's who they were being baptized for. And what was the condition of the Pharisee? 
What was the condition of a person who rejected the message of the Lord Jesus, who rejected the gospel? What was the true condition of these individuals who rejected Jesus, who did not receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit? Their condition was dead. They are the ones who are dead, and they are the ones who people are being baptized for. I believe that that is what Paul is intending to say in verse 29. When he speaks about being baptized for the dead, he is talking about the leaders of the synagogue. He's talking about those people who are dead that people are being baptized for. Again, in verse 29, Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, which is true, if you don't believe that the Lord Jesus is the Messiah, you're not going to be raised from the dead. You're not going to be resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. If these people are not going to be resurrected, then why are you being baptized for them? Why? Go back up to verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, Jesus, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. And if that's the truth, then why are others being baptized for others who are dead, when you can be baptized by the Holy Spirit, you can be resurrected by the one who holds all things by the very power of his word, who has all authority, that all things have been given to him. And if you don't believe that, then otherwise, What are you going to do when you're being baptized for a bunch of those dead people who are not going to be resurrected at all? If you're not going to believe in the Lord Jesus for who he is, for what he has been given, that's why Paul started verse 29 with otherwise. Because if you're not going to believe that, then your only alternative is to depend on those spiritually dead guys who are not going to be raised at all. And that should be cause for great depression in your life. That should lead you to a point of total despair. And when you reach that point, then reconsider your rejection of the Lord Jesus. So no, I don't think Paul is talking about being baptized in water for dead people. I really don't. I think he's talking about the fact that people were being baptized in water to convert to the people of the synagogue, to the Pharisees. They were being baptized in water for these dead people. And if you do that, then there's nothing that you're going to be able to look forward to because if you're not going to embrace the Lord Jesus for who he is, then you certainly are not going to be resurrected. And these other people who have rejected Jesus are not going to be resurrected and you're definitely not going to be resurrected either. This is a very difficult passage in the scriptures for people to understand. In order to understand the explanation that I just gave, there's a number of things that you have to know, you have to understand. The first thing is what is the gospel? And it's very difficult to find anyone who knows the answer to this question. Obviously in the lost world, but just the same in the Christian world. It's very difficult to find someone who identifies themselves as a believer who will tell you that, yes, the gospel has to do with sin and death, forgiveness for the sin and the restoration of life to deal with death. It's very difficult to find someone who understands the gospel in that context. Many people will acknowledge that that is the gospel when they are told, but they still don't really know it for themselves. The Holy Spirit may testify in their hearts that that is the truth, but first of all, they don't really understand it well enough themselves to truly embrace that for themselves. And second of all, there are too many other things that they believe that contradict the gospel, especially when it comes to things like the forgiveness of sins, 
and the reason for forgiveness, which has to do with enabling the Holy Spirit to remain within you in such a way that it will never be lost. This is a difficult obstacle for people to get past. But another thing that people don't understand is the history of Judaism, that the Pharisees created baptism as a means of converting a Gentile to Judaism. That if you don't understand, first of all, the gospel, and you don't understand, second of all, the history of baptism, then there's no way you can possibly understand 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. Unless you want to create something like, hey, let's get baptized for the people who have died before us and perhaps did not have an opportunity to be baptized or they didn't believe in the Lord Jesus, but let's do that for them now in order to try to help them out. Maybe the Lord will look at that and say, hey, let's just go ahead and save these people since they're children or other relatives or people who are close to them who survived them. They are doing these things on their behalf, so let's consider their sacrifice and their offering on behalf of these individuals who rejected Jesus when they were alive. Now, I don't think that's the case, folks. I really don't. That conflicts with too much that we know about the ministry of the Lord Jesus, about the gospel that he presented, about salvation, about the justice of our God, about his righteousness, about his very character, For those of us who are mature in Christ Jesus, we know too much about the living God to consider something like that. But again, that's why it's so important to understand what baptism is and where it came from. Otherwise, there are passages like this that are very difficult, if not impossible, to embrace. Let's consider something else that Paul wrote, found in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, he wrote, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin." Now, baptism is referred to in a number of these verses, in verse 3 and in verse 4. But what I want to do is I want to focus on verse 6 for just a moment, where it says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Now, let me ask you something. Were you crucified with Christ? Well, you were in a certain sense, but not in another sense. You were not put on the cross with the Lord Jesus during the time that he was crucified. Unless you're 2,000 years old, you weren't there. I know I wasn't there. Were you there? Are you that old? You could not have been crucified with Christ in the physical context, in a physical sense, unless you were physically there at that time. And I know I wasn't there, and I feel very confident in saying that you weren't there either. And so obviously he's not talking about you being crucified with him in the context of being put on the cross with him. And so in this context, we cannot automatically say that if you have been baptized into Christ Jesus, that that means you were physically baptized in water either. If you were not physically crucified, then we cannot automatically say that you were physically baptized either. I personally believe that the Apostle Paul is not talking about water baptism. 
I personally believe that he's talking about the spiritual baptism that the Lord Jesus does. He is the one who baptizes him, and through his baptism, we are baptized into his death because we are born again in the Spirit. Before you knew the living God, before you were saved, you were alive to the world and you were dead to your God. You might have noticed that. You might have noticed that it seemed as if God was not real. It seemed as if he was not alive. Well, the problem wasn't with him. The problem was with you. He is alive. You were the one who was dead. If you have been made alive through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, then when he resurrected you, you were then alive to him. But because of that, you were dead to the world. So again, before you were saved, you were alive to the world and you were dead to your God. When you were saved by the living God with the baptism that he performs on you, then you were dead to the world and alive to him. So if you understand that, then consider verse 3 again, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Well, of course you were baptized into his death. You were resurrected to be alive to him, and so technically you have entered in to his life experience, into his death from the world's point of view, but from our point of view into his life. Again, from the world's point of view into his death, from our point of view into his life. Continuing into verse 4, it says, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. You have been buried with him through baptism into death? How? Through the water? No, of course not. Any lost person can do that. But through the baptism of the Spirit, you have been identified into his death. You have been buried from the world's point of view. From the world's point of view, it is as if you have died. But from the Lord's point of view, you have been raised. That's why it says, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Yes, the newness of life being alive to him and walking in a completely different way of life, being resurrected from the dead. In verse 5 he says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. He is using baptism to speak about a spiritual truth, and this truth is that you were once alive to the world, but you are now dead to the world. And when you were alive to the world, you were dead to your God, but now you are alive to your God. And I will continue with these questions in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.